Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Of course, that is Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson. We have uh, we have some great guests with us today. We've got Tim Williams, who, of course, is our baseball insider. He'll be talking a little bit about the World Series and a very special guest and a longtime friend of mine, and I am very pleased that he could join us. That would be Kendall Lewis, who is in Cleveland, Ohio, today for us, and Kendall, known up there in Cleveland as BSK. And when you only are known by initials, you know that people in the town love you. And BSK stands for the big sports kahuna. Kendall, welcome to the Sunshine Boys podcast. It's a pleasure to have you today. Yes, thanks for having me. What a day in Cleveland. You've got the upcoming uh, Cavs getting their rings at 7 o'clock, and then at 8 o'clock, first pitch, or 8.05, first pitch uh, of World Series between the Cubs and the Cleveland Indians. How about that? You know, Jim, uh, I'm drawing a little parallel between the uh, NBA Finals and this World Series in the sense that, you know, most of the chatter is is on the other team. Uh, Not a lot of people thought, that the Cavs, uh, as great as LeBron is, would knock off uh, a record-breaking uh, Golden State team. And, of course, the Cubs got all the history, uh, Jim. So uh, I don't see too much love right now being shown to the Indians. No. Kendall, you want to respond to that? Well, yeah, the, the, correct. There's not a lot of love being shown to the Cleveland Indians. But, see, here's here's what I call – national ignorance of what's really going on. Because you, when you look at the overall picture, everybody is a Cub fan. Uh, I'm a Cub fan. I spent a couple of years over in Waukegan, Illinois, which is a western suburb of Chicago, right after I got out of college broadcasting. And I became more entrenched as a Cub fan. So I, I, I would usually be rooting for the Cubs. But since they're playing against the Indians, I I want them to sweep the Cubs in four straight. I care nothing about uh, the national story. But here's the thing. People look at the Indians from the outside, and they figure they're just uh, a speed bump on the way to Major League Baseball's uh, World Series title, and they aren't. The Indians have a lot of good things about them, and normally if they were healthy, I might even favor the Indians. The Indians have outstanding pitching. They have outstanding defense. There is power throughout the lineup. I mean, not prodigious power, 30, 40 home runs necessarily, but they have hitters who have power, not power hitters who um, uh, specialize in the clout or the out. And so I think this is a very, very close series. I think there are some subtleties here, for example, um, when the Indians score first, uh, their winning percentage is almost 700. When um, the, 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 the starting pitching breaks down, they can go to the bullpen as early as the fifth inning with an assortment, an array of matchup relief pitchers and killers on the end of the bullpen. So Cleveland has clutch hitting. Cleveland has, as I mentioned, great defense. They have offensive versatility in the outfield, and they don't even have their best outfielder available. So what's left over is, as you saw, a great assortment of baseball players. 
than give to give the Cubs a run for their money. Absolutely. And to add on to that really quickly, I would just like to say that to add on to that in the Indians' favor, I think they have a very slight advantage at manager. I think Terry Francona has shown this postseason that he is the best manager in baseball, and he's taken the Indians here. He's almost as responsible as anybody that the Indians have gotten this far. He's done a fantastic job with that bullpen, managing a rotation that is down to it's essentially a one-and-a-half-man rotation at this point, and they're just going to get by with it because they have that bullpen and they have a manager who's not afraid to dip into it whenever he needs to. And they also have the most accomplished postseason hitters still going in Mike Napoli. Mike Napoli's had a couple of really big series in his career. Had the Rangers held on in 2011, he would have won a, run away with the series MVP that year. So they have both of those things working in their favor as well. The Cubs are going to be favored in a Las Vegas sense, but this will be a closer series than it lets on. I agree with Kendall in that respect wholeheartedly. Well, Joe, you and uh, Ira know Brother Madden pretty well. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about Joe and what you think the Cubs are going to do? Well, with uh, with Joe Madden, the, the Cubs have the perfect manager for this situation. Uh, I agree that Terry Francona may not get the credit, especially in this setting, that he deserves. But Madden is a master at deflecting pressure off a team, and nobody has got pressure on them right, uh, like the Cubs do right now. They have got the hopes and fears of, you know, over 100 years uh, riding on their backs. Now, a lot of people, a lot of Cubs fans being, being Cubs fans will say, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, we made it to the World Series. Uh, don't buy it. If they don't win the World Series, it's going to be considered a disappointment. Now, uh, I've, I've been playing around with a couple of, of fun facts here. And one thing about this series that jumps out to me, um, Ira will, will laugh at this, uh, knowing kind of the history I've got with this. But uh, three words, Phi Slamma Jamma, because people, if you go back to the great Houston, uh, University of Houston basketball team, everybody assumed going into the final against North Carolina State that they were going to run away with it. And uh, they did not. Uh, I believe I was one of the ones who bit very hard on the whole Houston going to win easily uh, storyline. I've learned my lesson. Uh, Cleveland right now strikes me as the North Carolina state in this scenario. Uh, they've lost one postseason game. If you, if you look back in this postseason, Boston was going to beat them. The game didn't happen. Toronto was going to beat, beat up on their pitching staff. Didn't happen. Now everybody's saying, well, the Cubs are the team of destiny. Um, in this game, one matchup, I kind of like the Indians. Uh, they've got, they've had some, a couple of their guys have had some pretty good success against uh, the Cubs starter, John Lester. And uh, particularly uh, keep an eye on Rajay Davis. He's, it's a pretty good sample size too. He's got 40 at bats, uh, a career at bats against Lester and he's hitting 325. Uh, you know, the uh, Mike Napoli uh, was mentioned and he's on a tear. 
Carlos Santana's had pretty good success. So they're going to be able to to play the matchup game with this guy. And uh, on the reverse side, the uh, the Cubs haven't seen too much of Corey Kluber. And those who have seen it have not had a whole lot of success, especially Ben Zobrist, uh, hitting 077 lifetime against uh, Corey Kluber. So Cleveland's got kind of a mojo going as a city right now, if we don't include the Browns, and I don't. So, um, you know, a lot of, lot of stuff going on there tonight, and um, I will not be surprised. In fact, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say I think Cleveland's going to win it. Ira, want to get in uh, on this? Yeah, Jim, uh, one, one guy that we haven't mentioned, uh, who I believe has been the dominant player uh, in this postseason for any team, um, is Andrew Miller. Now, now Tim touched on it. Uh, Francona's been masterful with, with using Miller. You can't call him a closer. Half the time, the guy's coming in uh, with the bases loaded in, in the sixth inning. Um, he's been untouchable, absolutely untouchable. He's been a lot better than Chapman has been for the Cubs in the postseason. So, Kendall, uh I think uh, I think the Indians go as Andrew Miller goes, and, and right now uh, nobody's better. And I, I think uh, he's the big X factor in this series. Well, Ira, I would agree with that. And, and coupled with the fact that there are other guys who have been as effective as Miller, well, I, I can't say that, but, but Miller has been outstanding, striking out, uh, I, I think, almost half the batters he faced. Um, and his versatility in when you can pitch him and how often you can pitch him makes him the X factor, as you said. And coupled with the rest of that bullpen, coupled with Shaw and coupled with all of those other guys, and Miller can close. So you can you can switch it up. You can use a lot of your matchups earlier in the game, as I said, after the fifth inning, as we just saw against Toronto. And believe me, Toronto, I've seen the Cubs all year. I've seen Toronto all year. I think the Cubs have an outstanding young lineup with power and with pop they can can hit. But Toronto is dangerous from one through seven in the kind of way that uh, Murderer's Row was dangerous. If you look at the Yankees of that time, they had home run hitters or just professional baseball hitters who could hurt you at any time. Toronto is the same way. And Cleveland navigated, or Terry Francona, used his bullpen, used his pitchers, used his defensive acumen in such a way that those guys never get off the schneid. A couple with, again, the play calling the pitch calling of Perez, who was really not supposed to be playing, he's done an excellent job with this whole team. And so when you look at it, where, like I said, the, the national media has an ignorance, which means a lack of knowledge. I'm not calling them ignorant, but I'm just saying they don't watch this team day to day. And you talk about, uh, I believe, Joe, the – uh, the comparison between Terry Francona and Joe Madden. Joe Madden is outstanding. Terry Francona is outstanding. 
I would give the edge to Francona because he, he's won so so much on so many levels, and he handles the guys as well as Madden, although not as eclectically <laughs> as Joe <laughs> Madden does. But they're both fun guys to be around. They're both very intelligent baseball men. They both are out-of-the-box thinkers. So this is a really close World Series. Now, I was thinking about it this morning. I think that if Cleveland can take the pressure off themselves by doing what they did against Toronto and winning the first two games with their pitching and defense, then I think they'll be able to relax and just play ball. If they lose one of these two games with the cacophony of, you know, the Cubs having won in 108 years or, you know, with that whole we love the Cubs thing, that could be a lot of pressure on some young guys, and it's a very young team with some rare exceptions. And so I think they, the pressure would then switch to them off of the Cubs because the Cubs are under pressure. They may not seem like it or you may not think it, but with everybody rooting for you, with everybody behind you, you could even say they're America's team of baseball in this World Series. The Cubs have to, you know, exact a pound of flesh. If the Indians can hold that off by winning both of these home games, that'll be critical. Because then if you slip up and lose a game in Chicago, wow, you're in a real pickle then. And you can't. it's not that you can't come back from 3-0 or 3-1, but that makes it a lot tougher. So I'm looking at these first two games, especially tonight, with everything that's going on in the city, with the Indians having for the, the pressure of supporting LeBron James and the Cavaliers with another world championship. Don't forget now, we're starving here too. We're still starving. Just because the Cavaliers won a championship, that doesn't mean we're not hungry. That doesn't mean that, you know, the teams here are like, well, the Cavs took all the pressure off of us. And so, you know, we can just, you know, lay around and chill. No, it's not it. Cleveland hasn't won a World Series, I believe it's in 68 years. It's been 1948 since they won a World Series. And given the way they've lost the two in 95 and 97, I was there. I was there almost crying as a grown man. Um, I, I think I think Cleveland has a, a sufficient motivation to get this thing done. So you've got two teams, two long-suffering um, uh, fan bases, two iconic baseball teams, two teams with tragic past in terms of winning, two teams with um, a, a sparkling future. It's going to be a great, great World Series. I just hate that the ring ceremony is going on at the same time. This is the Sunshine Boys Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. You just heard from Kendall Lewis, the big sports kahuna in Cleveland. He's our special guest today. We also have Tim Williams, who's our baseball insider, and the Sunshine Boys themselves, Joe Henderson and uh, Ira Kaufman. Tim, I have a quick question for you. You know both Terry Fancona and... um, and of course, Theo Epstein. What's the dynamic you think between them? By the way, quick story, and that is that Theo, his final two guys were Theo uh, when he was finding a manager was uh, Tito Francona and Joe Madden, and he's actually the one who picked up the phone and called um, 
Andrew Friedman and suggested that the that they raise higher Joe Madden. So there's there's a there's a kind of an interesting dynamic going between them. But uh, Tim, you these two guys, the man uh, who built the Cubs now and the guy who's coaching or managing. I'm sorry, the um, the Indians. What about the dynamic you know between these two guys? Well, it, it's really interesting because Theo Epstein. Right now, you hear a lot about how he just cemented his Hall of Fame resume, and I think he he very well did, and how he's gone into the annals of one of the all-time baseball executives by doing this with the Cubs after doing what he did in Boston. It's funny that Francona's on the other side of this, and except for this podcast, you don't really hear people saying the phrase best manager in baseball around him very much. That here he was, he managed the Red Sox back from 3 nothing in a series where there was a rain out. So managing his bullpen, which was not necessarily as strong as the Indians or the Cubs bullpens right now, to the point they had to put Tim Wakefield in for significant innings in that series, he'll try anything. And in this particular postseason, it's been exemplified. All these, all the stat heads will tell you that closers going in in the ninth inning exclusively is not necessarily a good idea. You should put them in against the team's best hitters. And we've never really seen a manager try that before until this postseason when Cody Allen came in the seventh inning in the ALCS to get the heart of the Blue Jays order out, and then Andrew Miller, usually the setup man, got the save because Allen had already thrown the seventh. So he's a statistically forward manager, and that really helped Theo Epstein make his plan work in Boston, much the way that Joe Madden's helping it work in Chicago, because being statistically forward thinking is really important to those teams. So his innovation worked a lot with what they were trying in Boston, and both managers in this equation are very good clubhouse guys, as as has been mentioned in their own unique ways, but they're both very good clubhouse guys. And also putting a button on Theo Epstein and Terry Francona, it's also interesting, they left Boston the same day at the end of the 2011 season when the Red Sox had a terrible September and collapsed, Terry Francona was fired, Theo Epstein resigned, and they've since gone on to these heights. So it's really interesting because they were kind of run out of town when it happened. It was all very narrative, especially in that the clubhouse was suddenly too loose, that they were allowed to do too much, and that cost Francona his job. And yet he's doubled down on it. Now they do party at Napoli's every time they have a walk-off. He's not afraid to let his team's personality show, and he doesn't need costume parties to do it. And then you have Joe Madden's style, which is unique to Joe Madden and characters in movies. One quick one, guys, and Tim, you said that uh, forward thinking. I I got to also give props, and it kills me because I was that was a game that I was pained by why Washington Nationals saw Kenley Jansen come in in the seventh inning of game five and uh, pitch for two and a half innings. 
and uh, then see the close coming from, of all people, Clayton Kershaw in Game Five of the Nationals and the uh, and the Dodgers. So uh, I'm still pained over that one. But uh, anyway, well, here we are course. on the Sunshine Boys podcast with Tim Williams, Kendall is with us from up in good old Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, it's always good to have Kendall Lewis with us, the big sports kahuna. And, of course, we have our Sunshine Boys, Joe Henderson and um, Ira Kaufman. Guys, we're going to step aside for a second, and we'll be right back uh, after these words. And we'll talk a little bit more baseball and maybe talk a little little football since we've got everybody here. You're listening to Sunshine Boys podcast on sportstalkflorida.com. And Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome back to this edition of the Sunshine Boys Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host from SportstalkFlorida.com and Blog Talk Radio. With us today, always, the Sunshine Boys, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson. We have Tim Williams, who is our Sports Talk Florida baseball national insider and our special guest from Cleveland, Ohio, where tonight... The Cavaliers will get their championship rings, and the what is it down Euclid Avenue, Kendall, that um, Progressive Field? They will have Game One of tonight's uh, World Series. So uh, good, good time to be in Cleveland. Tell tell us a little bit about this upcoming uh, Cavaliers team. Well, you know, I I, I think this Cavaliers team is. In a nutshell, they're uh, ready for the East unless something unforeseen happens. Injuries always upset that apple card. I mean, LeBron James is supposed to lead this team and do whatever it takes to get back to the NBA Finals. But uh, in my mind, I've always thought this, that getting to a championship, getting to a Super Bowl, getting to a final, getting to a World Series is not what... It, 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 the, the goal should be the goal should be winning, and so I think these guys are ready to get back and prove themselves against this new, the newest incarnation of the Golden State Warriors or whatever comes out of the West. And so it's going to be a long grind. There's going to be ups and downs and different storylines all season. But I think Cleveland is ready for that. What I don't like is Cleveland. I don't think improved to the level that I would have liked to have seen. I would have liked to have seen uh, another guy other than Dunleavy added to the mix who can really play. I think last year with Channing Fry, uh, he did that over the course of the last half of the season in the playoffs. They've lost Timothy Mosgoff, so now they need another big guy. Uh, they need a backup point guard, and so far they haven't uh, gotten a guy. So there are some holes to fill, although there are backup roles. But as you know, uh, over a long season, you need everybody on your team to contribute and to be effective and effectual. So this Cavalier team is going to be very excellent. I would say the, the first eight or nine players. But the back end of the rotation or back end of the bench, I would say needs some buttressing if this team is going to the height that they reached last year. And I think everybody is, uh, I think the fans uh, are still awash in 
you know, they came back for 3-1 and won a championship, but it's not that easy. And that championship, as you gentlemen know, means nothing now. After tonight, that'll be the last time the the team itself celebrates 15-16. Uh, it's on the 16-17. And I'm a little concerned that they don't have enough to overcome whatever's in the West. Well, let me let me jump in for just a second on LeBron and the whole Cavaliers thing. <clears throat> the I'm starting to wonder at what point um, LeBron begins to wear out because he has been um, what is it now six straight NBA Finals? It's a, yeah, six, six straight NBA Finals, and when you add all the playoff games in and the number of of, uh, of finals games and, and all of that, he has played the equivalent basically of nearly one and a half extra seasons. Well, yeah, one and a half extra seasons. Um, it's it's like 125 games or something, something close to that. And he's in fabulous shape. We know that. And, and he's, he's, he is the rarest of rare, athletes, um, certainly one of the, the handful of the very greatest players in NBA history, but everybody's human. And um, now he's driving himself like Michael Jordan did to, uh, to heights that nobody's ever scaled before. But, you know, that's a lot of wear and tear on a body. Uh, we saw he didn't go to the Olympics this year. He said he wished he had. I think his body's glad that he didn't. But, uh a lot of it, to me, depends on how well they can rest LeBron during the season. Um, you know, maybe maybe uh, maybe take some extra time off during the uh, the season, because once you get back into that to to the playoffs, uh, I don't think there's anybody in the East outside of maybe maybe the Celtics that uh, can hang with them. So you've got to assume that they're at least going to be back in the conference finals, if not the NBA finals again. And at some point, man, that's got to start wearing a guy out. I, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, you know, that's one of the problems with the NBA. I don't want to get too philosophical here, gentlemen, but let's be brutally honest. There's like five teams every year that can win the NBA title. I got a problem with that from a league-wide basis. And it seems to be the same five teams uh, almost every year. Uh, can you imagine if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan? Now, Jim, I'm speaking from experience. I like the 76ers. Uh, I expect uh, a lot of sympathy from you gentlemen over that. Uh, I I got nothing to look forward to. Zero. Uh, ben Simmons isn't even around now. He broke his foot. There's nothing to look forward to. So, you know, Kendall, with all due respect, uh, you know, the Cavs can, the Cavs can win 55, 60 games by throwing their sneakers out there. Uh, they got the best player on the planet, as Joe mentioned. LeBron's moving in quickly, I think, uh, in terms of uh, the top five players of all time. I'm a little partial to uh, the guys like Chamberlain, Russell, uh, Bird, uh, Magic, Jordan, but you know LeBron's getting there, and. Uh, I just don't think there's a lot of teams uh, in contention, guys, in the NBA. I think it's a problem. 
Yeah, I, I well, have to agree with you there, Ira. I, I think it's really a shame that if you're not a contender, you have to bottom out in the NBA. That's the logic anyway. That's not necessarily true, but that's the common prevailing logic is you need to bottom out and hope for the best draft pick you can get so you can get the one player that can turn everything around. And frankly, if you don't have one of the top three players in the league at this point, you can do everything else right. And if you don't have that star player, it doesn't matter. I look at a team like the Celtics, whose best player this year is going to be either Isaiah Thomas or Al Al Horford, depending on how both of those players do. They have a fantastic coach. They have all sorts of assets. They have essentially every Brooklyn Nets draft pick for the rest of time, apparently. But they just they don't have the star player and without the star player they it it's really hard to imagine them competing with LeBron unless LeBron really wears out somehow and it's certainly impossible to imagine them competing with one of these teams in the west given that the Cavs defending champions once they reach the NBA finals will probably be the underdogs against the probably the Golden State Warriors again. Well, you know what, guys? I, I, I just think the NBA has always been set up with super teams and a few teams who could win, and then a lot of teams who couldn't. They were that way back in the Russell Celtics day. They were the teams was that way in the early 70s, you know, with the Knicks and the Celtics. Not a lot of those teams win, although that was probably the best time for the NBA. It was that way uh, in the 80s when the Lakers and the Celtics and the Sixers ran things. It was that way in the 90s and on down. So I think I think it's pretty much that way, depending on the team's uh, management style and fortune in the draft, uh, whether they take the right guys or put their teams together with chemistry. A lot of that depends on the expertise of the people running things. And let's face it, everybody doesn't have the same type of ability in life, period, no matter what you're talking about. There are trash men, the garbage men who are great. You can put your trash can back on your, on your in your driveway. They don't throw it around, don't dent it, don't leave trash on the, on the ground. And then there are others who do those things. They dent your cans. They leave trash on the ground. So people have abilities which show through just because you're doing something or just because you're a team administrator does not mean you're a good team administrator. And so that shows itself in the administration of these teams and the NBA IRA that you talk about. That's just, uh, it seems to me, that's just the way of the game. And so you're fortunate when you have a Philadelphia with Dr. J and Moses Malone and Bobby Jones and Caldwell Jones and just everybody that could run through the NBA or when you're the Lakers or the or the, the Bulls. Now it's Cleveland's time, and let's see if they can hold sway this year into next, whereas Golden State couldn't do the same. You're listening to the Sunshine Boys podcast right here on SportsTalkFlorida.com and Blog Talk Radio. Um, I think I constantly upcut Joe Henderson. So let me yeah, go. you do. Yeah, we we got this thing going here, man. Um, 
I was just going to make a, a, a kind of a pile-on point on, on the NBA in that I don't think the overall talent in the league is anywhere near what it used to be. You got more teams, for one. And number two is you've got so many players, um, the one-and-dones coming out of college now, who are not ready to play professional basketball. They're just not. And so you're seeing now these, these quote unquote lottery picks are, uh, you, you got a better chance of, of playing the Florida lottery sometimes than you do of hitting jackpot on one of those lottery picks because uh, they're coming out too soon. You're, you're drafting on a, on a very small sample size and it is hurting college basketball which is the feeder system, of course, for the NBA. That's why you see more NBA teams going overseas to try to find players, but that's a, that's a kind of a crapshoot too because that's a different level of competition than what you see over here. So naturally, I think it's going to filter down that you're just going to see a handful of teams, and the rest of them are on the treadmill, and they're hoping, like the Orlando Magic did back in the day, uh, that somehow uh, a ping pong ball falls in their favor and that they get a Shaquille O'Neal uh, who, can, who can make them instantly competitive. I, I really think that the NBA and college basketball uh, should have a system kind of like Major League Baseball does um, with their draftees, that if you do not uh, sign with a Major League Baseball uh, organization that drafts you coming out of high school, then and you go to college, you're going to stay in college for a couple of years and you're not eligible for the draft again. I would love to see uh, a system where uh, if a player you could that uh, a LeBron James, yes, he could sign out of high school. I got no problem with that. But if you go to college, you're going to stay in college two years. And then maybe, you know, if you're good enough, we'll let you come out. That's I think that would help both both college basketball and the NBA immensely. Hey, no, Joe, one of the problems with that was there was an attempt uh, by David Stern and, uh, you know, the league to get that done, but there was uh, blowback from the NBA Players Association saying that basically for all intents and purposes, it was a restraint of, of, of trade situation where they couldn't, um, you you were keeping people from from you know working, and so they they came to an agreement that the one and dones would be you know that would be the way. In other words, you could have to go to college and stay for at least one year, and um, you know then they could do it. But uh, no, there was an attempt. Uh, Stern thought uh, that it was. Uh, going to be an issue and and obviously the NCAA I mean look they they make the NCAA makes 97% of their uh revenue off of the NCAA basketball tournament so it it behooves them to have you know quality there as long as they can and uh unfortunately the NBA and the NCAA um because of the NBA Players Association, um, that was a non-starter in their CBA contract negotiations of, uh, you know, not allowing players to come to the league 
even though some of them come and are, are woefully um, you know, unprepared. Well, uh, sure, and I understand that. But if Major League Baseball can get something like that past its players' union and to say, you know, this is how we're going to do this, then I don't see why it can't happen in the NBA. And at the end of the day, all right, you've got the rookie salary cap and, and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But you, you have guys coming into the league who just flat aren't ready to play, and it's damaging the product. The NBA uh, is uh, the casual fan, and maybe there aren't a lot of those in Cleveland right now because they've got a, a terrific team. But the, the, you think the Orlando Magic are excited about this season? You think the Miami Heat are? And it's, it's damaging the overall product. And I, I'm, I'm going Jay Billis on you here, but I really think that this is something that they need to address, and they need to do it. Uh, as quickly as possible. Well, Jay could do it because he's a lawyer. So well, uh, yeah, and and he's also played the game. But right. uh, other than that, I'm I'm equal to him. No, that yeah. wasn't my point. Uh, <laughs> I, my point was if 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 Jay wanted to if Jay wanted to get involved in this and actually do what he says he wants to do, he could put together a class action suit. Uh, well, so. I don't know that that's necessary. I'd like to see it done through collective bargaining, but. Oh. At some point, the overall health of both the NCAA basketball and uh, the NBA needs to take precedent over uh, some guy who uh, really should be back in college or uh, coming out of, uh, you know, if he comes out of high school uh, and he doesn't want to go to college, but he wants to play pro ball, fine, go to go overseas and play if that's what you want to do. But uh there's there should be uh, the health of the of the league and and college basketball should take precedence in my opinion. Well, well hey done. Jim, while uh, Jim, ahead, while we're uh, while we're lauding the city of uh, of Cleveland for its uh, sports acumen, mm-hmm. uh, I don't believe I've heard Kendall talk about uh, the NFL team that uh, supposedly <laughs> dwells in in those environs. Uh, now the talk is Jim. Uh, maybe they trade their best player, who happens to be Joe Thomas. And you talk about accomplishment. Imagine playing for the Browns over these years, the dreadful Browns, never on national television, and you make the Pro Bowl year after year. You know how good you got to be to do that as an offensive lineman? So now there's a lot of chatter, Kendall, about Joe, Joe Thomas, the great left tackle, probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, We'll see what they can get for him. Uh, you know, I, I look at a team like the Vikings, guys. Uh, their quarterback just took a beating Sunday. Maybe they think uh, they're a serious playoff contender uh, if they go out and get the right piece and, and, and you know, their left tackles out for the year. Um, I think that's a pretty good fit with Joe Thomas and, and the Vikings. Well, Kendall have to answer that question because uh, he's the he's on the he's on the ground there in Cleveland. What's going on, Kendall? Well, I, w- I would agree that uh, Joe Thomas would fit the bill there. Uh, however, uh, I talked to the coach in preseason and suggested publicly on my radio shows and podcasts that the Browns, uh, since they've engaged in this scorched earth 
policy of you know just breaking it down to the hubcaps, just getting rid of everybody, and Joe Thomas would fetch a mighty handsome price. Coach told me he had no interest. He told me this, his lips to my ears, that he had no interest in trading Joe Thomas. And furthermore, Joe Thomas doesn't want to be traded. Joe Thomas, guys, is one of the most uh, loyal, uh, introspective, interesting people you'll ever meet in the, the realm of sports. He wants to be here when it turns around. And I got to tell you, um, when I when I got the schedule, and I do this every year because I cover football like, you know, it, it was my passion, which it is. So I got the schedule out, and I looked down the schedule. And I do this every year. And this is the first year that I could actually see it happening. I went L, 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 L. I went all the way down the list. And when I got to the last game, I did an L, and I then proclaimed I didn't see a Cleveland Browns win. I did not foresee it. Now, you know with the with the NFL, NFL teams win games they're not supposed to, and yes. they lose games they're not supposed to. That's how it is on any given Sunday, Saturday, or Friday, or Thursday, whatever. Anyway, you talk about a degeneration of a league, that's a that's another story for another time. But mm-hmm. I didn't see a win. This is a team that's going to go 0 and 16. There's only been three in the modern era, okay? Two in the modern era, I'm sorry, that have gone 0 and 16 just by the vagaries of the game. And I'll tell you without equivocation that this 0 and 16 team will be better than the 16 that preceded it. By far, that speaks to the coaching acumen, the intelligence of design that has taken place. If you watch the Browns games, they've been the most entertaining team in the NFL this year. Again, by far, stuff has happened. Uh, Games have been lost late. Uh, Team has come back. Uh, They have taken it down to the 59th minute and 59th second of each and every one of these games. So what I'm telling you is, as a professional watcher of sports, and football in particular, I've studied film, I study film, I watch these games. I don't want to. There's nothing for me to see. I know how it's going to turn out, but i got to watch them because I have to be educated on the process. I'm telling you, I've been taught by Bill Walsh and, Bill Parcells and different guys, how to build teams. This team is being built the right way. This team is making great progress, even though they lose every week. To show you what I'm talking about. Last week I talked to Coach Jackson, and I said, Coach, and I give him a, I text him, and then sometimes we'll talk. You know, if I say something too incendiary, he's got to straighten it out. So I text him, and I said, hey, Coach, your young team is losing every week, but they're making great progress. They're making great strides. I thought I'm being, you know, encouraging. He gets on the phone and blasts me. We're not trying to make progress. We're not trying to compete. We're trying to win. That's what he's telling me, right? And, but and I hang up and I just laugh because I know he knows that I know that he knows they're not going to win any game. 
I, I know that. And so as I as I'm laughing, I'm going, but this team is getting better. But a lot of people can't see that. And so again, ignorance from the outside. You're not. Why would you watch a Cleveland Browns game if you live in San Diego or Florida or New York? Why? I, I don't want to watch them, and I'm here. But <laughs> that, that's the fan in me. The, the football uh, mind that's been trained by guys who pick teams, who, who stock teams, who's coach teams, makes me want to watch them so I can know what the next big thing is. Uh, they've got a lot of good assets on this team. And it's not that this team doesn't have talent. It's that the talent is young and unproven. But they've got talent that flashes all of the time. And once they make the right adjustments, putting them in the right places, this team has a chance to be a monster, especially with Hugh Jackson as the coach. Not this year, of course. Not next year. But toward the latter half of next year, this team will be a force to reckon with. And really, they could win some games now. The one of the top rushing teams. All their quarterbacks have played well for the quarter they've been in. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, this is the football team that I wouldn't sleep on right yet. Uh, they'll go zero and sixteen, sure, but they're, quick, they're not as bad as they look. Hey, Kendall, quick question: uh, Any truth to the rumor that you are going to be uh, starting Week fourteen for the Browns at quarterback? I hope not. Hey, listen, I value my health. I hope not. Because <laughs> I would tell you something, man. Every quarterback that plays for the Browns this year gets broken. And so I'm afraid for Kevin Hogan this week and the young kid, I don't even know his name, that the Redskins, that the uh, Packers cut. I, I know he's got to be shaking in his boots because Ke- Kevin Hogan is going to get broken as well. And once he gets broken, he's going to go into the fray and I hope his insurance is paid up, that's only. He better not lapse. That's all I can tell you. Uh, well, and, and with that in mind, why would you trade your left tackle, your, your soon-to-be Hall of Fame left tackle? Uh, you've already got every quarterback on the roster is like in a cast or something. So, you know, why would you do that? I, I don't think you get better, Ira, by, by trading your best player. I just don't. I think you build around your best player. And, uh, you know, I, I pay a, maybe some extra attention to uh, that particular division because uh, the Bengals are in it. Yes, I'm a Beng, Bengal guy. And, uh, and last Sunday, uh, where the Bengals wound up beating the Browns, uh, the final score looked, uh, looked pretty decisive. But Kendall's right. The the Browns are feisty. They they do not. I've I've seen O and sixteen teams or or Ira. We remember what those uh, Buccaneers were like in those early years. And don't don't sleep on the Browns. I mean, Hugh Jackson's a terrific coach. They've got a they've got a lot of stuff they got to fix there, and it it's it's not going to be a short term deal. But I. I think they're one of those teams that in a couple of years from now, you're going to look at them and go, wow, they're, they're doing it right. They're headed in the right direction. Guys, we have, um, I want to say one thing. Real go quick. ahead, Kendall, uh, go Joe ahead. Thomas, Joe Thomas. Uh, I know a lot of people think the best player on the team, the best player on the team, Terrell Pryor, write it down in the, 
he's the best player right now on this football team. I said that the other week, and my media brethren here were like, oh, man, you're crazy. Last week, they came back and said, yeah, I think you're right. Of course I'm right. He's the best player. Your eyes can tell you that. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I'm not going to argue with you, Kendall. You you know the team better than, than I do by leaps and bounds. Well, look, folks, it has been a lot of fun doing this edition of the Sunshine Network. Sunshine Network. Here, yeah, going back again. Going to uh, the Sunshine Boys podcast with our guests, you know, Kendall Lewis from Cleveland, uh, Tim Williams up in Boston, and the and the boys themselves. Joe Henderson, and, and of course, Ira Kaufman. It's time, guys, for final takes and your social media. Uh, we'll go, let's go with the guests first. Uh, Kendall, how can we, uh, how can we uh, give us your final take this week on, on the World Series, whatever you want to talk about, and um, give us your social media, how we can follow you. Well, uh, you can follow me at uh, the BSK says, at the BSK on Twitter and uh, the BSK on Facebook, uh, and I will respond to you and get back with you. I, I'm, I used to want to be a lawyer in my so I'm very adept at the uh, argument which doesn't turn ugly. We can disagree without being disagreeable, so that's how you can get in touch with me. The, the one thing I want to tell you is that with this World Series, it's going to be an exciting, close World Series. And I would say don't sleep on the tribe because they could very well win this one quickly, more so than a lot of people think. Okay, Tim, you're up next. Okay, I going back to the World Series, you know, a bunch of people have talked about pressure in this World Series and who's going to be feeling more of it. The answer to me is, whoever's at home at the time, because the players don't necessarily feel all this pressure. These guys aren't from the towns they play in for the most part. So they don't have, they're not fans of these teams, or they might be now, but they weren't growing up. So they don't have all that emotional baggage that the fans do. But when they're at home, if the Cubs come down and they're 2 nothing back, at, or they're down 2 nothing at Wrigley, and they start losing game three, you will see the crowd start to feel the weight of every Cubs loss that they can remember. Likewise, if the Cubs take a decisive lead in game one and then they get out to another one in game two, you'll see on every shot of the crowd, you'll see fans with that here-we-go-again face. And that becomes a palpable atmosphere, and that becomes where your pressure comes from. So whoever's the home team at the given moment will be the team that has the more pressure and the team that really feels the weight of everything because that's where where it all is going to come back to them. And as far as social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Wrights Sports. Okay. Ira Kaufman, final thoughts and social media. All right, Jane. Uh, you can get me at Twitter, uh, at iKaufman76. And uh, this one goes out to Tim Williams, uh, Jim. Uh, one thing we didn't mention about the Indians and Kendall, th- this is a feather in their cap and-, and give them a lot of confidence going forward. They they knocked off the best hitting team in the major leagues 
in the Red Sox. Top to bottom, what a lineup for Boston. They averaged more than five runs a game. And they were totally shut down by Cleveland's pitching. And if they can do that to Boston and Toronto, uh, they can do it against the Cubs lineup that until the last few games uh, showed that um, they can be shut down by good pitching. So if Cleveland's going to win it, it's going to be with the guys on the hill. Um, And after knocking off Boston the way they did, I don't put it past them. Joe, you're batting cleanup. Okay. Um, well, I'll uh, I'll zig while everybody's zag. I'll I'll say Indians in six, uh, just to get that out there. But uh, the thing to watch, uh, and Ira will agree with me on this, uh, is your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have won two games. They are now at 500. They are even with Atlanta in the loss column in the division, and they have. Uh, a winnable stretch coming up here. They play Oakland Sunday, followed by Atlanta, and followed by the after uh, uh, they they've got Atlanta on a Thursday night game, and then uh, the Chicago Bears. We are almost to November, and your Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, are in the playoff race. Now, can they sustain that as long as Jacquees uh, Rogers keeps running for over 100 yards a game? Why not? So. Uh, it's kind of fun to uh, to watch uh, the Bucks right now. They're uh, you can see them headed in the right direction. Social media, you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa T A M P A. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, Kendall, you're talking about zero and sixteen. Um, Joe Henderson and I did not cover a 0 and 16 team. We did however cover a 0 and 14 team. Or and, a 0 and 26. <laughs> yeah, well, you could add that to it as well. But <laughs> but uh it's not fun and I can guarantee you I I don't know about Joe, I can't speak for Joe. But <laughs> I didn't see us winning a game for a while there on that even though uh we came close a couple of times. But uh it's not fun, and um, and fortunately, we don't have to do that again. Um, the early days of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were entertaining, if not um, satisfying on the scoreboard, uh, at least from that standpoint. Well, look, thanks very much, everyone, for joining us on this edition of the Sunshine Boys Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. For Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys. For our guest, Tim Williams. Thanks for joining us from Boston. From the beautiful area of Cleveland, Ohio on Lake Erie, Tidal Town, USA, at least for a couple of days. Uh, we'd like to thank Kendall Lewis, the big sports kahuna, for joining us. And we'll have him back more times because he's a very entertaining guy. Thanks to all of you. And uh, until next time, we're the Sunshine Boys. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast on sportstalkflorida.com and blog talk radio thanks very much 